2: welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon.
3: Good morning, Liz. It's great to be here this morning. I hope everybody in the state is uh, safe and uh, dry. And I know there are some people uh, struggling to uh, get electricity back on, et cetera, and we're thinking about them. But um, it's a great day actually to talk about potential climate change mitigations, and, um, and really a wonderful to welcome uh, my, my colleague, Professor Antonia Ellison, to the show. Um, Antonia is an expert in international law. Antonia, how did you become interested in, in international law? And, and tell us a little bit about your background.
0: So first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure um, to get to speak with everyone. Um, So I took a trade economics class um, when I was doing my master's, and then I took trade law in law school. And during law school, I co-authored an on the WTO compatibility of various proposed climate change measures with my professor, Rob House. And this was one of the first comprehensive looks at these issues. And so that's part of where my passion comes from, its the climate change issue, but I also just love the way about every aspect of our lives.
3: And you know, it's, it's interesting, you, you practiced in London, so you have experience practicing internationally, you have uh, family in Europe as well. But some listeners may wonder why international issues like carbon initiatives proposed by the EU would be of any interest to people in Mississippi, and, and our broader listening area. You know, can, why are why are these local issues as well as global issues?
0: Well, I think climate change, as we've, you know, just been hearing from the news and we see from Hurricane Ida, um, we see that this is both a global issue, but also something that affects us at the most local level. And we need to take action at the international level, but critically, also domestically more broadly, at as- locally. Um, So international issues can end up having effects on local economies, and something like the EU's carbon initiatives can both help protect our planet, which includes us in Mississippi, and mitigate climate change, that's a good thing, but also have a potentially negative impact on our local economies if we ourselves don't take necessary action to mitigate climate change. So this is a way, in effect, of holding countries to task that aren't doing enough to mitigate climate change. And this affects
3: everyone. Now, you've been uh, uh, writing about and thinking about some of the issues in the EU, and one of them is the uh, carbon border adjustment mechanism, CBAM, that we're going to delve into deeper in the show. But tell us a little bit about that. What, What exactly is that, and how would that impact on climate change?
0: Yeah, so very simply, this is a proposal by the European Union to implement what would in effect be a means of adjusting for the cost of goods that are produced in other countries that have less stringent carbon emissions requirements than the EU at the EU borders. So CBAM, Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, would apply to goods coming into the EU, that fail to meet the emission standards um, that the EU requires its own member states and manufacturers to abide by. So this involves, and I'll get more into it, but very simply, this involves the EU importer having to purchase carbon certificates that are issued by a centralized EU agency to make up that cost differential. So it reduces the incentive for EU companies to produce goods in places that have lower emission standards and are consequently cheaper to produce them in. And also to encourage other countries to reduce their emissions so that they their products won't be hit with an increased cost when they're imported to the EU. So this is really an effort to try to get um, other countries and. Manufacturers to reduce their emissions and to green their
3: economies. So, so in essence, if, if I produce, if I'm uh, somebody who uh, produces a lot of uh, carbon emissions with my my industry, I, it's going to I'm going to have to pay more than someone who is, has got clean, you know, clean company uh, for the to produce the same goods and services. Is that kind of what's ha- what's happened with this.
0: Yeah. So the idea is that the European. And it has this emissions trading scheme, which applies to countries within the EU for their emissions. And um, once you have this, uh, you know, this domestic system to try to reduce emissions, um, now they wanna sort of apply it to other countries and to try to get other countries to meet the standards that the EU is already meeting within the EU member states.
2: Well, we may think we're just Starkville or we're just Mississippi or we're just the United States, but the world is getting a lot smaller now. You can send us an email with your questions, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing carbon border adjustment mechanisms, I love the name, CBAM, with our guest, Professor Antonia Ellison. If you would like more information on this topic, after the show, they'll tell you where you can get some next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is In Legal Terms. Not everybody has a chance to listen to the whole show live, so if you've missed any part of the program, you can listen at mlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. And this afternoon... Our show will be up as a podcast, and we'll have some links for websites with additional information on this topic. This morning, we are talking about CBAM, Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, with Professor Antonia Ellison.
3: And, and uh, you know, this is so interesting, this, because, you know, it's something I, I always learn something on the show, and especially when Antonia comes on. Um, And so what is the goal? What's the EU's goal with CBAM? What are they trying to accomplish?
0: So that's a really excellent question. Um, So the carbon border adjustment mechanism is a climate mitigation effort. And it's designed to prevent what's known as carbon leakage. Now, there's two ways to address climate change. There's mitigation, which reduce your carbon emissions, and there's adaptation, where you adjust to the realities of climate change through infrastructural or other projects to protect against rising sea levels, increasing incidents of extreme weather, and the like. But whether or not we invest in adaptation, I mean, we have to. Mitigation is absolutely essential. Without mitigation, we will never be able to slow the effects of climate change. We have to reduce emissions. So CBAM wants to ensure that with the EU taking emissions reductions and combating climate change seriously, the international trading system isn't just going to allow the import of goods that are produced more cheaply without meeting the same emissions standard without there being a penalty on those goods. Now, this isn't quite a tax um, because it's structured a little bit differently, but it will have similar effects. Proposal is also, as I mentioned, it's really important because it's meant to reduce the risk of carbon leakage. What's carbon leakage? Well, that's where EU-based companies would move their carbon-intensive industries the European Union to places with lower emission standards, um, so where they don't have a strict regulatory standard. And if they do that, you're going to undermine efforts to mitigate climate change. So that's really the goal of the carbon border adjustment mechanism.
2: Well, we have a call that we'd like to get, take this morning. We are talking about CBAM, carbon border adjustment mechanisms, and climate change and tariffs, all of that in our worldview. Let's go to Tupelo and talk with Mike. Mike, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question?
4: So my question is about more of a micro-scale situation. Uh, I know there, there's programs for carbon tax credits, and so my question is for, say, a landowner in Mississippi that has some forest land property, are there any current ways to enroll that land in a, in a program where they would receive credits, uh, tax credits, cash payments, whatever, for um, sequestering that land um, for periods of time as a carbon sink? And then also, uh, same question, i got a friend with some property in Belize that would uh, be interested in the same answer.
0: So that's a really, I mean, that's a fascinating issue, the sequestration of carbon. And it's really something that that both the Paris Agreement is supposed to provide for mechanisms um, for providing credit for sequestration. The Kyoto Protocol was supposed to do some of that. Um, I'm not actually sure whether in Mississippi there's currently any mechanisms because these would be nationally implemented and I don't believe that we currently have anything. We did have some emissions trading schemes where carbon credits were traded. There was a Chicago um, climate exchange, but that uh, went bust in about 2010. Um, So that is often very country specific. Um, That is one of the ways of mitigating um, climate change. There's been a lot of efforts for sequestration in the forms of reforestation and the like um, under various of these international agreements, and quite possibly Belize is involved in some of those. Um, I can't authoritatively speak to them, but I know, for instance, Indonesia was doing a lot of things um, in that vein, and a lot of countries that have large swaths of forks and large amounts of timber have been really interested. I don't think we have anything in Mississippi to do that, and it would be wonderful if we did, because encouraging land to turn into sort of carbon sinks, to capture carbon from the um, atmosphere to sequester it is really
3: important. And and there might be be, uh, some tax uh, credits that, that might be available in Mississippi for um, certainly there are conservation easements uh, that you can use at the federal level. I would, I would talk to an attorney about those, but as, as Antonio said, we need more incentives because really I think the concern people have probably is it's going to cost me money to do some of these things or I'm going to have to give up some of the things I do. And so if, there's a, if, if, if governments would be more supportive of these efforts like the EU is trying to do, I think maybe we could, we could accomplish more.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, you definitely see in Europe. There's been a lot of efforts, for instance, to give tax credit for people who install solar panels. And if you travel around Europe, you see solar panels everywhere in the EU on all sorts of houses. And I know a lot of folks in Mississippi would love to install solar panels. They're, they're not that accessible because we don't have those programs.
2: Thank you, Mike, for calling in. This This just does go to show. Mississippi is part of the global community, economic community, and our state and uh, legislative and state senators are important. Our state uh, legislators and senators that we send to Washington are important. And it's important that you let the people who make our laws know what is important to you. And yes, uh, Antonia, uh, back a long, long time ago in 2019, I got to take a vacation and was in uh, Europe and in uh, Israel. And it was fascinating to see, you know, what are all these cylinder-shaped things on the roof of the houses? They were all hot water heaters. They were all solar hot water heaters. And Absolutely every building had them. So there's a lot of things that we can move on, and, and uh, in, when it becomes cost-effective for individuals to implement, they'll want to be a part of. If you have a question, we're talking a little bit about climate change, about the carbon border adjustment mechanism, CBAM, with our guest, Professor Antonia Ellison, if you have a question we can take your emails and we'll either get to them on the show or we'll have our guest answer them and email it back to you
3: and this is really fascinating and antonia you know the um, the goal I, I you know i was looking at the, uh, the eu website about steve ammon and and, it, and the goal is to be a carbon neutral continent by 2050. That seems pretty ambitious. And I guess the question is, how? you know, legally, this is a show about the law, how do you enforce that? How do you do that, Um, you know, take that goal and enforce it legally?
0: So one of the challenges with um, trying to impose something like this is to figure out where in the supply chains the emissions happen, right? In today's world, our supply chains are really global. As you know, a product that you buy that says it was assembled in the U.S. actually means it was manufactured in probably China or other countries and then put together. We have to go and figure out how much carbon goes into producing each good. but. Basically, the plan is to have EU importers who want to bring in non-EU goods, buy these carbon certificates that are in, that the carbon emissions would have cost had the goods been made in the US, or in the EU, rather than the EU's pricing rules. And if the country where it's coming from has the same pricing that the EU does for carbon emissions, then the importer doesn't have to pay. So this effectively removes any advantage the product has by being produced somewhere where the carbon emissions aren't as regulated. And also they're doing this, they're implementing this incrementally, or the plan is to implement it incrementally, beginning with certain goods like steel, fertilizer, um, you know, things that are really easy to quantify the carbon emissions that go into producing
3: it. You know, then the thing is, this is the EU, and the the EU is part of the World Trade Organization, for example. So would all the nations outside of the EU that belong to the WTO be required to comply with the EU's CBAM, Carbon uh, Border Adjustment Mechanism, to to engage with the EU?
0: So, I mean, in a way yes and in a way no, right? This applies to products from any country, and that's whether they're in the WTO or otherwise, but most countries are in the WTO. I don't think North Korea is exporting a whole lot to um, the EU at this juncture. Um, But it's not so much that they have to comply with CBAM, But if these other countries aren't working towards reducing their emissions, their goods will cost more to EU consumers because the importer will have to pay to make the price of carbon equivalent to that in the EU, which of course then the importers end up passing on the cost to the EU consumers. obviously makes the goods less attractive, because who wants to pay more? And one of the reasons people may have been buying those products were because they were cheaper than goods made in the EU because of this carbon price differential. So realistically, if we want products that are responsibly produced, and and I'm speaking of everything from an environmental to a labor standpoint, we're going to have to pay more for those goods. And the current model is exploitative, and it allows corporations to take advantage of laxer laws in other countries to produce goods more cheaply that ultimately collectively harm us as people on this planet. So, no, countries can do whatever they want. They can continue to emit. PFAN is not imposing anything on them, but hopefully this will result in EU consumers not purchasing the products. and obviously the EU is a huge market.
3: You know, it's what's interesting to me, and what that seems hard when when things are done by you know, like the European continent, the EU, by themselves. If they're they're the only ones really trying to work on fixing emissions, it's kind of like they're in the no smoking section, and everybody around them is in the smoking section. So they're still getting the smoke, and you know, the smoke is still going around the world. I mean, is is that a fair analogy uh, if only one entity is trying to fix the carbon emissions?
0: So that's an excellent point, but the good news is the EU is far from being the only country or supranational organization, but the only entity that's trying to reduce carbon emissions. Um, the Paris Agreement, really everyone agreed to reduce their carbon emissions, setting certain goals. And for some countries, that's more challenging, right? If you have antiquated power plants that you know run on coal, for instance, it's, you can't just snap your fingers and turn them to clean energy. That takes years of investment to sort of work towards it. Um, But more and more countries are recognizing the need to act quickly, and realistically, we should have acted decades ago, um, but even if it's too late to reverse climate change, it's not too late to work towards making sure that future generations have some kind of habitable planet to live on. Um, every little bit counts. So even if the EU is kind of like being the non smokers in the smoking section, that's still reducing the amount of smoke overall. And frankly, we're in the pickle we're in because of the industrial nations of the global north. It's the European and American factories starting with the Industrial Revolution in Europe that formed the bulk of emissions that led us to where we are. So, we better be doing something, the EU had better be doing something, and hopefully other countries can say, hey, that seems to work after CBAN is implemented, let's do that ourselves. And so, at the moment, Canada and Japan are both working on similar carbon border adjustment mechanisms as the EU has
2: we have a call that we'd like to bring on to the show. It's TJ from Kosciuszko. TJ, thanks so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question?
1: Yes, I was wondering about uh, what we're doing about uh, Mexico still running leaded gasoline. And all the fuel from Central Amer- from Mexico, Central America, and South America is leaded fuel. And I'm wondering what we're doing about that.
0: So I think one of the things that that we're sort of working on is is making adjustments to the type of fuel being used everywhere. So for a long time, the U.S. thought, obviously, we stopped using leaded fuel, and we were actually quite, you know, against diesel fuel while the E.U. was really supportive of diesel fuel. And now the E.U. is phasing out diesel fuel. I think when you look at the overall emissions, um, you're still looking at countries that just fewer emissions because fewer people have cars. And so, as bad as it is, everyone has to do has to do what they can do to the extent um, that they can work on it and reduce those emissions in whatever capacity. And it's a gradual process. To get everyone on board and to get everyone to the point that we want to be at, and unfortunately, again, we can't snap our fingers and make emissions, you know, uniform and have green energy for everyone um, that quickly.
1: Yeah, I understand it takes time, but uh, you know, uh, Mexico still running leaded fuel and high sulfur diesel, and I just wonder when they're gonna. If they're going to be involved with uh, cleaning up the air, because you fly into Mexico City, which I travel down there all the time, and I lived down there for years, and you can tell when you're coming in Mexico City because it's black, it's a black cloud over the city.
0: You know, and again, like, we've been getting more and more buy-in from countries to participate in climate change mitigation efforts, and so, um, you know, some of it may be taking place through, you know, means like working on other areas, having cleaner factories, Um, and, you know, all of that is, I think, the international community needs to work towards helping to change those standards, and we do see a lot of the world that, that, you know, the fuel standards may not be the same that we have. Um, and at the same time, you look at the EU, and now they look at, for instance, us and say, wow, like, we're still running cars. Um, they're planning to phase out all, uh, you know, gas engines and move towards fully electric in the next few years. So I think, you know, we all are kind of working towards getting there, and that is absolutely something the international community should put pressure on. Um, but I think we all kind of have to do what we can do to the extent that we're capable of doing it.
2: Thanks, TJ. We appreciate you calling in. And if you were a observant can you be observant if you listen? <laughs> if you were an observant MPB listener, you might have caught, as I did, yesterday's NPR story that the world has stopped using leaded gasoline. Algeria in July used up the last of its stockpile of leaded gasoline. Uh, that's according to the U.N. Environmental Programme which has spent 19 years trying to eliminate leaded gasoline around the globe. So, TJ, if you're still listening, uh, you know, there's, it took 19 years, but according to this uh, UN report, uh, we're, we're finally moving past that. You can email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Professor Antonia Ellison about carbon border adjustment ne- mechanisms, but I love saying the acronyms CBAM. Professor gertenson has got all the acronyms in the tax department, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm loving saying CBAM. If you're interested in learning more about tariffs, we've got a podcast for you. I'll tell you which one next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
3: Each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel.
2: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at MPBOnline.org. And thanks. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you have uh, missed any of our show, you can listen to the whole show on our website inlegalterms.mpbonline.org it's on the mpb public media app and it's a podcast i absolutely love listening to podcasts i especially listen when i'm walking the dog or when i'm cleaning and i don't like to clean and so i like to have something to take my mind off of it so if you have a smart device you get a podcast platform And on the one I have, I touch a plus, and it takes me to a page to search for the oodles and oodles of podcasts. I can type in in legal terms in the search area. It brings up our show. Then I'm able to touch the photo of us. It's very classical looking with some Corinthian uh, uh, columns. And I'm notified when any new episodes are loaded up. This morning, we're talking about Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, or CBAM, with our guest, Professor Antonia Ellison. And if you're interested in learning more about tariffs, we have a show on that on August 14th of 2018. And for that show, our guest was professor antonia ellison so we are glad to have her back it's been too long we do have a call to get to it's from gulfport it's june june thank you so much for calling in to in legal terms today what's your comment or question
0: well thank you for taking my call i have a question about uh, china where is china on this so that's a great question. Um, China has participated in the Paris Agreement, and China's a country that has a ton of really polluting uh, power plants, a lot of coal-fueled power plants. And they've made certain commitments to transition those power plants to cleaner fuel, but um, they are still building coal fuel power plants, which is really problematic. And I think that you know, holding China to task um, on that is, is gonna be a crucial piece of this. Um, at the moment, you know, this is one of the goals I think of the EU CBAM, right? So the carbon border adjustment mechanism is gonna mean that goods coming from China, if China is not meeting the EU's emission standards, it's gonna become a lot more expensive. And that's going to reduce demand for Chinese goods. And ultimately, if you want to get a country to change its behavior, one of the ways to do that most effectively is to hit it economically. So I think the EU is, is really kind of taking this forward in probably one of the ways we're going to have to see this happen. Because if you know countries won't do what is needed to reduce carbon emissions on their own, even with international agreements that they sort of commit to, then hit them in their wallets. That's where it's really going to matter. And so hopefully CBAM and other programs like this, like the Canadian one that's being worked on or the Japanese one that's being worked on, will help drive China to reduce their emissions and actually move to cleaner fuel.
2: Thank you, June, for bringing up that point on our topic.
3: And you know, was during the break. I mean, I always learn stuff on the show, but sometimes during the break, I learn things too. And we had a caller who couldn't hang on who said that there are forestry credits in Mississippi that the forestry association has carbon credits. Glad to hear that. Uh, a lot of this is industry specific, you know. So um, you know, that's a real, real step forward. Um, and you know, one statistic that I always find kind of shocking is that 90% of the world's population lives in the northern hemisphere. So Antonia was talking about this kind of being a northern hemisphere problem primarily because you know so much of the world's population is here and so much pollution goes on here. Um, so uh, you know, what is, uh, if we look at Europe and you talked about China and Canada, what is uh, the other thing, what are some of the other things that Europe is doing? You know, like, for example, what is a cap-and-trade system that they call the emissions trading system. They've had that for a while. What exactly is that, and how does it work?
0: Yeah, so the EU has um, the cap-and-trade system, as you mentioned, the emissions trading system, the ETS, and the EU ETS is basically a quota system. So to really simplify this and any you know, trade lawyers who may be listening, I am very much simplifying this, but each company gets a certain number of carbon credits that represents how much they're allowed to emit. If they don't use all their carbon credits, they can trade it on a carbon exchange, sell it to companies that need to buy more credits because they're going to emit more. Now, ultimately, as time goes on, the total amount of carbon credits available is going to be reduced, right, gradually, because otherwise you would never reduce emissions. Um, And there have been similar initiatives in the U.S. I think I mentioned earlier the Chicago Climate Exchange that was meant to do the same thing but stopped trading in 2010. Um, So the EU ETS is actually one piece of the EU's climate policy regime along with now CBAM, because this is an internal system. It's applying to companies really within the EU's borders. And in this case, within the multiple countries up the EU's borders, CBAM applies at the border between the European Union and the rest of the world, right? It says to other countries, hey, we're taking climate change seriously and working to reduce emissions. Everyone needs to do this or else we're doomed. So if your goods are being produced in ways that aren't working towards that goal, then we're gonna make those goods more expensive so that EU producers are not unfairly hurt. So CBAM in a way is the outward facing portion of this and is very much built out of the existing ETS system. the EU ETF system was plagued with some problems in the early year. It's hard to keep track of one company's specific emissions. There were some issues with the amount of credit. But the EU has worked really hard um, to try to modify it by the uh, emissions trading system to ensure that it's more effective. And it has helped reduce overall emissions. So one more thing I want to say about this is CBAM will be linked. to the emissions trading system. Because the price that's used for the certificate that the EU importer has to buy is based on the price of the EU emissions trading system allowances. Um, So it links the price of carbon certificates to the price of the emissions trading system allowances, and that is more dependent itself on supply and demand, so there's some issues. But, um, so the EU ETS allowances are full, the CBAM certificates will not be tradable, so that's that's keeping it much more reined in. And I think, as I also mentioned earlier, CBAM will only apply to certain products, steel, iron, cement, fertilizers, aluminum, and then down-the-road electricity, um, whereas the ETS is broader. That was a very long-winded answer. Sorry.
2: <laughs> well, we have a call. We have a listener from Tupelo who'd like to be on. Participate with our show. It's Terry. Terry, thanks so much for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question?
4: So, my comment and somewhat of a question is if I've heard it once, I've heard it 10,000 times. What about China? What about India? So, I don't really need to do anything because those countries are polluting. And emerging economies, from their point of view, they're like, well, I finally got mine. And our economy is finally rolling, why should I – why should we be punished for something that the developed world has done? So I guess I'm looking for some uh, some information as far as how to uh, come back and talk to people about the reasons uh, that the United States and Europe and some of the other countries that are – are – seem to be making a push. The reason that we're doing that and what we can do to overcome the what about China, what about India uh, conversation.
0: That's a fantastic question. So, you know, I think one of the big retorts that I have when asked that is, you know, it is the U.S. and the, you know, it's the Western nations, um, right, the European countries and the United States predominantly that have led to climate change, that have been the principal polluters. Um, You know, the fact that India and China are polluting quite a lot now, it's a very short span of history, and also, and this is one thing that India is kind of pushing back on, why aren't we talking about emissions per capita, right? Because there's over a billion people living in India, there's over a billion people living in China, and if we look at the emissions per person, it is still way less than the emissions per person in the United States or the EU. So I think that's one response: is that you're, you know, you're looking at it as a country as if the country weren't made up of individual people, and on an individual level, there's still fewer emissions. And the other thing is, you know, it, it's effectively penalizing countries that were not given the opportunities to develop because of colonialism, because of Western hegemony, and you know, this is um, rather than just say, "Hey, you're polluting, we're not going to do anything," we need to help provide, um, you know, and, and whatever else is necessary to help countries move to cleaner forms of energy. But I always think that the number to me is one of the best retorts, because if we think about what our emissions are as individual Americans versus the emissions of an individual person in India or China, um, you really see that disparity.
4: Excellent point. Thank you. I learned something today. Thank you very much.
2: I'm glad. Terry, we're so glad that you've called in. Personally, I always, you know, feel that it's, oh, in America, it's the companies, it's the factories that are doing all of the polluting, but it hurts my own heart if I don't pay for recycling to put, you know, my Coke cans and my milk bottles and my, Whatever else, if I don't do my part, although I know my part is teeny tiny, I think that also goes to a a mindset that uh, individuals have. And just like countries are made up of individuals, uh, corporations are made up of individual shareholders and the workers at the companies. So, But we want to take your questions on our email address, org. What would you like to hear on an upcoming episode of our show? Uh, We're going to give you a way to give us that information next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. Remember, there's three different ways. There are a lot of ways you can listen to our show. You can go to the webpage, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. You can download the MPB Public Media app. You could just listen to us on any of the apps. On a for podcasts. And don't forget, you can also ask your smart speaker. I won't say her name because uh, she who must not be named, because if you say it on the air, people get really mad at you because then you activate your Amelia device. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. And we love broadcasting new and interesting topics, Uh, climate change, something everybody is interested in, everybody should be interested in because it affects everyone, and uh, old and tedious topics are also fine. So, you know, what do you want to hear? In legal terms is about you and your rights. And our rights cover the gambit on just about anything. So if there is a topic you would like Professor Gershon and I to uh, dig up an expert on or become experts ourselves, and have a discussion, have a show about that, we would love your input. So, Contact us on by email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Professor Antonia Ellison about carbon border adjustment mech- mechanism, CBAM, what the U- European Union has been doing. But I think we're about to start going into more of uh, America. So go ahead.
3: Well, we are part of the international uh, community for certain, and a uh, great uh, late John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis spoke at our law school about living in a shotgun house and, and made the analogy that we're all in that same shotgun house together. So how we treat our environment affects all of us. And does the, does the U.S. have any current proposals to add a mechanism like the EU's pretty ambitious proposal?
0: Oh, I wish I could say yes. (laughs) Um, There have been some discussion about imposing a carbon tax, which is, you know, really just a tax on goods that are imported from polluting countries that would be imposed on the border. Um, Now, in discussions about carbon border adjustment mechanisms, the carbon tax has long been one of the instruments discussed and imagined. Um, And we announced that we would work to implement this actually the same day that you came out with its 291-page proposal. So the CBAN proposal, is 291 pages, our proposal were some Democrats who said that we're gonna impose a carbon tax. We have no idea how or how that would work. And the big problem is under international trade law, if we don't hold our manufacturers to the same standard, um, then it's just a way of discriminating against foreign goods and becomes a form of protectionism and definitely will violate WTO law. So um, this may be a very crude effort. I hope that we see something a little bit more fleshed out.
3: And so and that's you know, that's that's would be that would be great because we the United States should be a leader. But how do we. How does, what efforts are there globally and how do those come about? You know, I know uh, you mentioned the World Trade Organization has some uh, ability to, to shape some of the, the climate initiatives, but are there other organizations that are involved in trying to make this happen?
0: So I think, you know, we do have some organizations, but what we really need to do is get people involved. Um, You know, we need to give people incentives to consume less. We need to give um, corporations incentives to produce less. And the trade rules have to be interpreted in a way that gives room for measures that may be trade restrictive but protect the environment. And thankfully, there's a long line of cases before the WTO that says just that including a very famous case from 1995 on U.S. gasoline in which it was found that clean air was an exhaustible natural resource. And so I think viewing climate as kind of an exhaustible natural resource is actually something that's feasible. But realistically, you know, we have to kind of, we have to do things locally as well as think internationally. And that includes, I think, focusing on local supply chains and local agriculture, because one of the biggest sources of emissions is the industrial agricultural system. So Mississippi is a great place for you know, farmers markets, local farms, and I think we need to be putting a lot of our effort into those kinds of things.
3: And, I, and I'm gonna put in a plug for something that we voted for in, as an initiative anyway, was uh, medical marijuana. I mean, I, actually, Hanford marijuana are really, really sustainable plants that don't uh, draw on the environment, in fact, uh, actually uh, re- restore the soil. Those kind of agricultural uh, crops would be would be helpful too. Now, how do all right, so we come up with a, a global plan? How do you enforce it globally? And you know, war is one way we try to enforce uh, the rule of law globally, but we don't want to do that. So, how do we? What kinds of mechanisms are there to, to enforce these laws globally?
0: I mean, I think as much as I hate it, it always comes down to financial incentives. And, you know, um, I take some inspiration from Kim Stanley Robinson's recent speculative fiction book, The Ministry for the Future, um, which I highly recommend. It's quite an optimistic look at climate But he imagines the creation of a carbon coin, which effectively is given to people or corporations. Sequester carbon dioxide, and the book fleshes out the premise, but it ends up being the tipping point. And I'm very gloomy about climate change, but that gave me some hope. So maybe we can do something like that.
3: Well, you and I both have children, and we want to make sure that they have a world that uh, that we have enjoyed, and you know, um, that is uh, one that they can live on. And you know, of course, there are those concerns. So. Um, This is something that we we all ought to pay attention to, and and I I gotta say this has been a great conversation. I wish we had another hour.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, let's learn a little bit about uh, You go ahead, Richard.
3: No, no, go ahead, I'm sorry.
2: Well, uh, let's uh, get a little bit of current events. Uh, Professor Ellison, what what are you teaching this semester?
0: I am teaching international law. And contracts. And in fact, in a couple of minutes, I will be going to my fresh, bright items, bushy tailed little one elves who are very excited about contracts and not yet demoralized by the world.
2: <laughs> well, I hope everyone there is wearing a mask and uh, no one, re- ma- the mask doesn't uh, encourage anyone to retire because they- everyone will participate in their masks. And Professor Gershon, remind us uh, what y- you're shaping our new bright minds about
3: wills in the states uh, so we're talking about estate planning and also the federal uh, wealth transfer tax the gratuitous transfers tax on gifts in the states and uh, always fun and exciting you know as you might expect but everybody's been wearing their masks and um, happy to see that it's good to be back in the classroom
2: excellent I, I know that's a, a method of learning a lot of kids and parents are choosing Thank you, Professor Ellison, for being our guest today. We're so glad you were able to join us.
0: Thank you very much.
2: That's going to wrap up for today's In Legal Terms. Our call screener for today's show is Java Chapman, and Jay White is our board engineer. For Professor Richard Gershon, who does host from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Please join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.